Welcome to Palm Sunday. It's a big day on the Christian calendar. Even if you're sort of not even a, much of a follower of Jesus, you're, you're familiar with this unique special day. So we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 21. If you have a Bible and you want to turn there with me, we're going to, we're going to meet a crowd that's gathered outside of Jerusalem at a city gate. And, you know, whenever there's a crowd, I don't know if you see a crowd, you probably get curious, right? I mean, you see a crowd of people gathered in a location, you know, there's a reason why crowds gather, right? Crowds don't accidentally just end up in the same place. I mean, we're a crowd here this morning. We intentionally came here because we're looking for something, right? The crowd outside of Jerusalem, they were looking for something. Right, but I don't want this just to be a story about something that happened 2,000 years ago. I, I want us to be in touch with the fact this morning, I'm looking for something. And you're looking for something. So if I had to just stop for a second, is this even relevant? Can, can you just think out loud? Don't think out loud, think in your mind. What are you looking for? What are you hoping for in your life? I mean, I just want us to be in touch with that we're shopping, we're looking, we got our eyes directed towards stuff, but there's a reason behind it. We're going to, we're going to gather as a crowd because there, there's something there that might be relevant to what we're looking for too. And quite simply, I think we'd all just put what we're looking for under a banner, like, well, I'm, I'm looking for a good life. I'm looking for a meaningful life. I want to be able to have lived something that when I look back on it, it mattered. And, and, it, and it makes me feel like the sacrifice and the hard things I went through, that that mattered. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just looking to be happy, I'm looking for a happy life. Well, that's who this crowd was gathered on Palm Sunday outside the gate. But there's, a, there's something happening, right? This is the beginning of Holy Week, what we call Holy Week. For them, it was the the dawning of Passover, this massive festival <clears throat> that, you know, again, festivals in the Old Testament that, that are highlighted in Scripture, they got a little bit of the world mixed in them, just like the church does today. So this is a little bit Passover, a little bit Jazz Fest, if you can follow me, <laughs> right? People are in Jerusalem for a bunch of reasons. Not everybody who's there is this devout follower of Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament. But they're there because this is a place to be. And so if you will, what's happening at the gate of the city is a little bit like, you know, a red carpet paparazzi event. The who's who are about to show up and people have gathered to see who's it going to be. There's going to be dignitaries and government officials and celebrities are going to show up. So listen, this is not like Jesus is the only guy coming to town. There's, there's, there's important people to look to. Look, look, that's, that's Ron DeSantis arriving, right? I mean, this is, this is who's, wait, wait, Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg are coming in. I mean, this is, this is what this feels like for them as people come into the city for this big event that they've gathered together for. It's going to be a big concert. It's going to be in Taylor Swift. Oh, my gosh. And so they're, they're kind of, they're going to take their cloaks and lay them down in the roadway. Not for everybody though. Some people are going to get the red carpet treatment because they see something even more special about these people, right? And that's, that's who we're going to visit with. We're kind of a crowd too. Don't forget you and I are looking for something. Maybe you got some Taylor Swift tickets. You're looking for something. You're going to gather with a crowd because you're looking for something, Right? Matthew 21, verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus went, sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you'll say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble 
and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The, the disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the ground, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray together. Father, we are not too different from the crowds that gathered in that moment. A big event, something that collects people together who are looking for something. They were looking for something. Whether they had paused long enough to figure out what exactly are you looking for, they were looking. And Lord, here we are on Palm Sunday, 2023. And God, we're looking for something too. I'd help us this morning to hear and see something from you to help us know what, what should we be looking for in Jesus' name. Amen. So they see Jesus coming, doubtful that when they saw a government official ride in or somebody ride in that they used this phrase, they, they broke out this phrase, Hosanna to the son of David. So this isn't just any label you throw around. This is a special label. In this moment, they're recognized, this is a special person that's riding into town right now. Like, and so special, we're going to take our cloak off. You just don't do this for everybody. You do this for special, special people and lay your cloak in the road for the donkey to step all over your clothing. And by the way, you own one cloak. This isn't like you can go, oh, this is my extra jacket. No, this is it. You own this one thing. And you just put it in a road for a donkey to step on it. And you put some palm branches on the ground as well. And you shout, Hosanna! Now, in, in the Greek, Hosanna gets transliterated from the Old Testament. Hosanna is, is a word of praise. It, it's a shout of celebration. But here's the origins of that word. That word in the Old Testament means, oh, save us. That's what it means. They're watching this man ride into town, spreading out special garments, rolling out the red carpet, if you will, and they are saying, Oh, save us. And they are speaking in agreement with a prophecy given hundreds of years earlier by Zechariah when he says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. That's what Zechariah said. What It's quoted in Matthew. doesn't have that line in it. But that's what they're shouting. Righteous and having salvation. The one riding in can save us. He's humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Right, what does this look like? What is this scene? Some of us have seen paintings of this, and I'm sure it probably looks something like some of the paintings. People waving these things. This voice of celebration is going up. Hosanna! 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 Being chanted by people. And it's like, it's like you're at a game, right? And there's this chant going forth. Oh, save us. Hosanna! Hosanna. All right, this is Palm Sunday. Can you follow this crowd into the rest of the week? Do you remember the next time we see a massive crowd gathered is on Friday. And they're not shouting Hosanna anymore. They're shouting Barabbas. Barabbas. 
Give us Barabbas. Does that give you a little bit of insight into what they understood when they were standing at the city gate shouting Hosanna? And you didn't make it but a few days. And it doesn't look like this Jesus is going to be what we were after. Now, they had some clues here, and this is a warning for all of us who've got a little religion in our background. We've grown up with religious phrases. We've been around some of these ideas. They busted out some good language here. Hosanna, right? You should be sounding that way. Son of David. Wow, where'd you get that from? Well, from the Old Testament. Prophetic designation for the Messiah who was to come out of the lineage of David. Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So now they're going to go get religious on us. They're going to use phrases that God has provided. They're going to pick up a little piece of God's story and and they own it. They own a little piece. Can anybody relate to that? Even when I didn't know Jesus, I knew pieces of his story. And I used them, a lot of times profanely, but I I used stuff about God. I spoke about God as though I knew a little bit about him. I'm part of that crowd. These words are prophetic Old Testament words. If you understand prophecy in the Old Testament, you know, it's it's not all shadowy weird. I mean, it is kind of intended to be a little bit shadowy. It's not trying to say everything absolutely with clarity, but, it, but it's breadcrumbs dropped on the ground to lead you somewhere. So when you pick them up and you go back, well, here's a breadcrumb trail. This trail leads back to an individual named David. So I, I don't, this, this informs this crowd, but it needs to inform us as well. If a Messiah is coming into this world based on what this book has written about, and it did this amazing job of prophesying things so that you and I could check out things said hundreds of years ago then actually occurred. So who's this Messiah going to be? He's going to be related to a king named David. And if he's not related to that king, he's not the Messiah. All right, now, that's very exclusive. I know exclusivity is not popular these days, but I'm just telling you, if you don't want to go with that, don't waste your time with this book. Because it's wrong. If you'd rather go with the idea that there's a Messiah available somewhere else, somebody's going to come along and offer you something that's going to sound good to you. Just a few days later, Barabbas. Is he related to David? They didn't shout son of David about him. Who's Barabbas? He's an insurrectionist. He's a guy who could stir up the crowd and get a bunch of people to rise up against the Romans and their oppression. That's who he is. And they turned their allegiance to him just like that. So somebody can come along and all of a sudden get our attention and think they've got something. But if he's not a descendant of King David, he is not the Savior. He has to be related to King David, which means he wouldn't be an American. He wouldn't be an African. He wouldn't be from Asia. Is that all right? It's exclusive though, right? But it's God putting the breadcrumb trail down, saying this needs to be narrow because there's only one who can do what you need to have done in your life. Only one. And he narrows that. And they cry out, son of David, how can they get so close and be so far away? Because, I'm going to say it this way, because their world, their culture, the people around them had taught them to look for certain things to be saved from and to ignore others. So there was in David's lineage, in David's history, he shows up on the scene in an hour in which the enemies of Israel are, are just rampant. And the nation of Israel is disorganized and there's lots of fighting going on and and the centrality of God's worship has been crushed and displaced. The identity of the nation is all messed up when King David shows up on the scene and he goes to work. And David is a warrior and he is anointed and gifted by God to defeat one enemy after another. 
So if there's anybody that you'd like to see kick some butt of people who are your enemies and who are against you and who are oppressing you, if you're in that moment, King David's your hero. This guy can take them down. And that's what he did. That was his ministry. That was his life. Oh, we're looking for King David to come and rescue us like he did years ago. The Savior's going to be like that. He's going to be like that King David. I think I wrote in your outline, when the crowd meets Jesus on Palm Sunday at the city gate, they welcome him to save them from the big problems they understand in their lives and to usher in the good life. This is why crowds gather. We're just looking for something good to happen in our lives, right? N.T. Wright wrote a commentary about book of Matthew, he says, people turn to God notoriously when there's something they want very badly. That's how people are. Church attendance goes up in leaps and bounds when a major crisis strikes, a war, an earthquake. Suddenly, everyone wants to ask the big, hard questions. Suddenly, everyone wants Jesus. In terms of this story, to ride into the city and become the sort of king they want him to be. That's quite a phrase, isn't it? Everybody wants Jesus to be the sort of king they want him to be. Give us peace now. Pay my bills and hurry. Save the life of my sick child and do it right away. Give me a job by this time tomorrow. And perhaps the most common prayer of all, help. (laughs) Oh, they wanted something from Jesus. They wanted what they thought they needed the most. Clinton Arnold says, others who called out, Hosanna, seem to expect Jesus to bring liberation as had the kings of ancient Israel and the Maccabees of more recent times. You know, it's interesting. You study history of Judas Maccabeus who led the Maccabeans during a time in which Jerusalem was under siege and and Antiochus Epiphanes had done horrible things in the name of, of Greek ideas opposing Jewish worship. And Judas Maccabeus leads a revolt against these world forces. And there was a day where he came riding into Jerusalem. And do you know what they put on the ground in front of him? Palm branches. I'm not sure he showed up on Sunday, but if he did, this isn't the first Palm Sunday then. The crowds have seen somebody else, kind of like King David who could show up in our town. Remember, they, they, they're hearing about this Jesus who's raising people from the dead recently and doing miracles all over the place that we've kind of heard the rumors of. And here he comes in town. But what are they looking for him to do? Leon Morris says, nothing prepares us for the outburst of enthusiastic support from the general public. The Roman occupation cannot have been popular. And some patriotic souls must have thought it possible that Jesus would form the spearhead of a movement in opposition. So people cheered him with enthusiasm. Until they figured out, he's not going where we want to go. Somewhere during the week, they figure out, Jesus doesn't have enough swords and enough soldiers. And it doesn't even sound like he's talking about that. And so it gets to be kind of easy when they get to Barabbas seems more to them like son of David, the one that they could think of. What they thought of when they thought of son of David was more like a Barabbas figure. That, that can save us. If you pick up the Old Testament, you certainly do get clearly the Old Testament teaching that the Savior, when he comes, he's going to be a king. He's going to rule everything. So you certainly get that in the Old Testament. But if you read other places in the Old Testament, he's going to be a suffering servant as well. They didn't really have a category for that. They had suffered enough. They weren't really interested in suffering any further. They weren't interested in somebody who's on his way to be crucified in the shameful death the Romans had created. They weren't, they, they weren't seeing something 
because they didn't see their need correctly. N.T. Wright says, The story of Jesus' grand, though surprising, entry into Jerusalem is an object lesson in the mismatch between our expectations and God's answer. The bad news is that the crowds are going to be disappointed. Deep down, Jesus' arrival at the great city is indeed the moment when salvation is drawing near. The hosannas were justified, though not for the reasons they had supposed. Oh, save us meant something very different to them than what it was intended to be understood. He is riding in on a donkey and salvation is with him. But it raises this question for them and it raises it for us. What are you trying to be saved from? Yeah, I mean, you get, I mean, it's, this is a little bit of a religious gathering, even though it's crowds outside of a city. They're using religious language. They're speaking from the Old Testament. You and I could be in the same setting doing something just like it. We're a crowd gathered today. We'll use the same buzzwords. But, but the real question for each of us is, what am I seeking to be saved from? Because if I get that wrong, I might turn Jesus into a Barabbas and not be realizing, hey, I'm just looking for Jesus to make sure Ron DeSantis is the next president or something. Right? I know that's not too far out of reach for even some of us here. To be thinking, Jesus is a means to get our needs met. Oh, yeah, well, he is. But are you sure you're in touch with what your biggest need really is? All right, so their hero here is Hosanna, son of David. Ah, can we invite David to meet with us just for a minute? Hey, David, what would you be looking for? If salvation came riding into your town and you were sitting and in the streets and you saw someone come in and you took your cloak off and you laid it on the ground and you pronounced, that is my salvation. David, what would that be for you? All right. Well, turn to Psalm 32 with me. We'll walk through this psalm quickly and we'll listen to King David describe what he saw. His great need for. Right, so I'm, I'm going to turn Palm Sunday into Psalm Sunday. I know we introduced that to you a few weeks back. Where we just walk through a psalm together. So Palm Sunday is now Psalm Sunday. Psalm 32. Written by King David. Says this. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Whose Sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. It's interesting, in two verses, David has described a problem in four ways. What a variety of ways he understood this problem in life called sin. He said, blessed is the man whose transgression, right? Transgression is a word where he was aware that he had violated an existing law. I have transgressed. That which is clearly right, I have broken those rules. Blessed is the man whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Another word, Describing the condition of our lives. He was aware there was iniquity, there was impurity about his existence. David is very self-aware in these verses. In whose spirit there is no deceit. No dishonest, no manipulative force on the inside operating inside of his heart. He knew, this is who I am. I'm a lawbreaker. There's all kinds of impurity in my life. This sin has seeped so deeply into my soul. Deception is always at work. I don't even know when I'm lying sometimes. I lie to myself. I lie to others. I trick them. I'm a manipulator. This is at work in me. And then he turns around and uses this word, blessed. 
is the one. Blessed is the man. That word blessed, it's the Hebrew word aser. It means happy. A person's state of bliss. The good life. A life that's favored and good. What, okay, let's remember, let's go back to the city gates. What are all these people looking for? They're looking for this. They're looking for something that's good. They're looking for a life that, that feels like there's harmony and there's a sense of bliss and well-being. That's why they're at the city and they're looking for who's coming in. And even if it's just a Taylor Swift concert that can distract me from the noise of my soul, I just want something. I can even call that good for at least a couple of hours. They're looking for something good. They're looking for what David says. Hey, can I just tell you about what's good? Here's what's good. When from the inside out, you're a blessed man because your sin has been dealt with. I wrote in your outline, whether we know it or not, whether we ponder it or prioritize it, David knew that his sin was a massive life issue with regards to his happiness. That there was something going on inside of him. Something in my life that just disrupts everything. It works like from the inside out. It grinds against my soul all the time. It's like a death sentence. It's like I've been diagnosed with something that I've had all my life. And it dominates the landscape of every day. Every day of my life, this thing affects me. Blessed is the man somehow is rid of this. That's David's description. If he's sitting at the city gate looking for a savior, he's looking for somebody who can solve this problem. Which, by the way, if that's what you're after, I'll see you on Friday. I'll see you on Sunday. You won't be gone and you won't be shouting for Barabbas because Barabbas can't help you with this. The one riding on that donkey, the one with the little rabble crowd behind him, what a confusing image, right? This king with a bunch of misfits, casually dressed, nobody's got gold, ornate stuff going on. They don't like foreign dignitaries. The people who rode in right before Jesus, I mean, they were in a limo. This guy's riding them. Ford Pinto from 1972, which was my first car, by the way. Here comes Jesus. Psalm 32, verse 3, David says, For when I kept silent, about what, David? About my transgression and my sin and my deceit and my iniquity, about this sin problem, when I kept silent about it, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Here's a man who is worn out, who is exhausted, who who lacks motivation, who flirts with depression, who doesn't feel like doing X, Y, or Z, who feels confused and discouraged. Why, David? Because I was silent about something. My sin problem. When I ignored it, when I didn't see it for what it was, when I didn't see how it operated, when I stopped using words like these five, transgression and sin and iniquity and deceit, when I stopped seeing this thing is grinding against my soul, when I stopped seeing that, day in and day out, 24-7, this thing just ground me on the inside every day. And life felt the way he described it. And he described something that's, that's both physical and non-physical. It's material and immaterial. And this is the reality of, of sin's impact on our lives. It, it works in our emotions. It touches how we feel about ourselves, about life, about our future. It, it touches our mental processes. It, it, it affects our emotional stability. And, and all those things can show up as well in physical manifestations. 
right? There was, there was groaning in his body. My bones wasted. I felt it in my body. And you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you guys recognize that there can be emotional stress in your life that shows up physically in your body? There's all kinds of conditions that are really hard to diagnose because they're, they're kind of not just physical conditions. They're, they started in emotions and they turned into something that's got anxiety attached to it and fears and confusion and depression and emotional roots that pull down on our lives. This is David describing his life. I don't know what you turn him into here. Some Old Testament non but He's a human being. He's going through the stress of life and this is what it feels like. Blessed is the man. So how, how do you fix this feeling? How do you fix the sense that there's something every day of your life grinding against your soul? Well, I'm pretty sure David tried a lot of things, right? If you follow David's story, he's, he's got some issues, right? David... I'm pretty sure, you know, I'd love to think that every one of us who serve God, we do so with completely pure motives, that there's nothing in this for us. While we're glorifying God, but I didn't get anything out of this. I'd love to say that's true about all of us. So when David comes riding back into town, having, you know, thrown on a rock uh, concert against Goliath, and taken down the biggest, most feared man in the world, and he comes riding back to our hero's welcome, I'm sure there's a giant part of him that's celebrating the glory that God is getting. Because he fought in the name of the Lord. And I'm sure there's a little piece of him like, hey, I'm doing something meaningful with my life. Got to be there, right? He was a king. Can you, can you get up the success ladder any higher? The guy was a king. But somehow being a king and having great victories on your resume and being everybody's hero, it didn't keep him out of, his, out of the bed with Bathsheba. Because sin operating in this man, deceiving him from the inside out, that rather than living a life for the glory of God, which means I don't need that and that wouldn't be right for God's glory and that's not good for me, somehow he lost sight of that. And he ends up committing adultery and then having her husband murdered to cover it up. So this is, this is what's going on in David's life. He didn't always perhaps sound like, blessed is the man who's located his problem, who knows I need somebody to fix this, and it's in here, and it's all through me, and it's affecting everything about me. He, he probably, and his life shows, he probably tried other things. All right, so question for us. When, when sin, and maybe not thinking this is what's causing this, but something grinds against your soul incessantly, powerfully, discouragingly, pulls down things inside of you, and you are affected by that. You don't like the way your life feels. You're not happy. What do you start looking for? How do you, how do I use this phrase? How do you troubleshoot your life in that moment? Right? This is, this is just too easy to do. You just start looking at whatever you think in your life is too hard, not working, presenting a problem, making you feel that way. And of course you live in a world that is now teaching at grammar school and high school levels how to make sure you can identify who the victims and who the victimizers are. And you and I will all sign up for that because I'd love to believe that my problem is not me. And it's not the stuff in me. It's you. Sorry. <laughs> it's somebody else, right? And so we start troubleshooting our life. Spouses, number one. You know, if we had one of those game show family feud, number one. Spouse uh, would be number one. Because they're so close. And you feel unfulfilled and you feel like life's not making sense and you just start shopping for what could be causing this. Sorry, babe, it's gotta be you. Sorry, honey. <laughs> I just, I interact with you a lot, you know, and, and certainly over time you start to identify 
you know, that person you married, not everything's okay with them. You don't even like everything. But, I mean, you like them enough to get married, but you're kind of weirder than I thought. I just don't say it often, but, you know. And the way you do that never made sense to me. I don't like it. I just learned to be quiet about it. I mean, you got all this stuff happening. So you got a problem, right? And that's, that's where you go to fix it. And if you're not married, or maybe you're, you're married and you move beyond that because for whatever reason, maybe it's your job, your career. Right? You just chose a job. You chose the wrong one. You, you should have done this instead of doing that. You were really good at this, and somebody talked you into doing that, and they're kind of to blame now. Or maybe it's your geography, right? I mean, that's an easy one. We live in New Orleans. How many of y'all have figured out there's nicer places to live than this? <laughs> it's just true. There's not nicer places to eat than this, but there are nicer places to live than this, right? As, as the days of humidity are vastly approaching, and it's just April, just April, right? People in your life, wherever they come from, your school, people at that school, going to change that, your church, the people you're around, right? All this stuff is, is missing the biggest problem. All right, can I, I'm not, I'm going to stop apologizing that I often interact with gender and sexuality issues. I'm going to stop apologizing for that because I'll stop doing it when you stop hearing about it every week of your life, right? Years ago, I mean, I, I was a youth pastor for a while and, you know, you could still kind of hear the reverberations of the 60s and 70s, right? That was still reverberating in people's lives. And if I preached to adults or kids, it didn't matter. Uh, can, can I just tell you back then, I never spoke about gender issues. Never. A little bit about sexual immorality. A lot about drugs and alcohol, <laughs> right? That's what was going on back in that day. But today, can I just put this in this category? Every human being has got something grinding against your soul. I mean, can you just hear the squeaky screech of something grinding against your soul every day. It's ear piercing and disturbing. And somebody's going to come along and tell you, here's what would fix that. Do you know why you feel that way? It's because of this. It's because of that. It's because of this. Well, it seems like top answer today, it's because you are gender confused. You know, the 60s and 70s put in line, it's because you're too sexually narrow. You need more free love. You need more expression. You're frustrated sexually. I mean, this is all actual terminology used in psychology. But here, here, is, here is the great sad moment of our time is people who are I don't, I don't know what other phrase to use. You're, you're hearing the screeching sound of sin grinding against your soul. That's what you're hearing. And, and you talk to somebody else or you watch the news, or you watch programs. You're, you're looking, you're sitting at the city gate looking for something to come along. And you can lay your cloak down in the road and say, oh, save me. Save me from this grinding sound on the inside of me. And you're looking for something. And everybody today is telling you, it's your gender. And children are being told, it's your gender. Children who don't know how to tie their shoes. They don't know left from right. Do you think they know whether or not their problem is their gender or not? But what's at play here is something is grinding against the human soul and trying to get explained. And LGBTQ is just the latest Barabbas to come along. And crowds are gathering, crying out, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. And listen, I don't want ever to preach these points and turn us into jerks. I would hope every person here, if you're a Christian for no matter how long, 
you are familiar that there's something grinding against your soul. Did you forget about that? I know my story. I've been saved a lot of years. I'd love to say, you know, after I was saved about 30 years, no grinding. (laughs) It's like I woke up one day and the sound was gone. Okay. If that happens to you, look for heaven. That's where you are. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But up until that moment, that grinding sound, it is sin grinding against your soul. And you're looking to silence it. And the world always has an agenda. You know, back when I was a kid, no one greeted my grinded soul with a gender question. They just offered me a joint and I smoked it. (laughs) And for a while there, it was a happy moment. (laughs) Distracted me from whatever was going on. But this is the hour that we're living in. So... Be aware, I think I wrote this in your outline, hold on to this, pray through it. Be aware there is an inner noise and groaning that nags us incessantly from the inside out. It is the sound of our sin grinding against our soul. But you get to sit at a a gate of a city and there's one riding in. You can lay your cloak, your life down in front of him because he can save you from that sin. Ask King David. That's what King David said. He said, I, verse five, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who's godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. I acknowledged my sin to you. Can you, can you hear the resolve of this psalm? Can you hear King David saying, there was this moment, this turning point in my life where I had these conditions and I'm running out of words to use. Iniquity and transgression and sin and deceit was just operating. But there was this moment. I acknowledge my sin to you. Right? That's what he does here. He comes to grips with the problem is in here. Oh, I'd love to say it's out there. The problem is in here. The grinding's coming from in here. The deceit is operating in here. Who will save me from that? A Barabbas? No, a Barabbas could maybe kill a problem if it's out there. He could get some swords. He could gather some people. He could raise up an army and he could kill those stinking Romans. But he can't silence this noise in here. He can't do it. The noise for David that drives him to adultery and murder. Who saves me from that? Oh, Hosanna. Oh, save us. David knew of this salvation. Yet you live in a world that doesn't want to confess anything. At the risk of being politically incorrect, we had a president who I don't know if he could acknowledge that he had ever sinned. I'm like, what planet are you from? And it's fashionable. You don't hear humble confession of sin. From people, it's like rare. It's like never happens. And then you've got techniques that have been installed in the world that, hey, you know, hey, keep that guilt off of me as though guilt is the worst thing in the world. Go, avoid guilt at all measures. Anybody just volunteer this? If you had a conversation with David, hey, David, when you when you talked about iniquity and transgression, do you feel guilty? Oh, no, no. No, I'm not into all that, man. The dude felt guilty. Horribly guilty. You know why? Because he was. He had a real problem. And it was in him. And he had responsibility for it. And it was grinding in his life. And he was cooperating it and resisting it and cooperating it and not knowing he was resisting it, etc. 
I acknowledge my condition, my sin. To you, to a personal being, to the creator, to the one to whom we're all accountable. Can, can you just be comfortable with the fact this is not a self-help book where I acknowledge that? Yeah, I, yeah I, mean, I could lose some weight. Yeah, yeah, I acknowledge that. Yeah. To who? To myself? That I want to be a better this or a better that? You understand? That's not confession to God. Acknowledging our sin in a way that's going to liberate us is to recognize this is personal. My sin is personal to God. It's not just, oh, you could have done that different. Oh, I could have. But when I transgressed, I transgressed a law created by a holy, righteous God. I sinned against him. I have to acknowledge my sin to you. This has got to get personal in my life. And guess how God responded? And you forgave. You forgave. Right? This, is, this is what gets you from Sunday to Friday. The question of how big a deal is your forgiveness? Is it a big deal? Because if it's a big deal, you're watching the Son of God on a cross. And you totally get, that's about my forgiveness. That's what that's about. And so if your crowd is gathering, you want to lay down some cloaks, what a crowd should have been there on Friday. It should have outweighed the crowd on Palm Sunday. But it didn't, did it? A little handful of people. Smaller handful, perhaps, on Resurrection Sunday. What does this tell you about people? Besides, they don't know what they need. Lots of crowds can gather. You can, gather, you can go to church. You can do lots of crowd stuff and not be understanding. Why? Why are you here? What, what are you after? When... Something comes riding into your life claiming it can make a difference for you. It can save you. Oh, say, what, are you, what are you hoping it's going to save you from? Boredom? Being mistreated by others? Not being a doormat? What, what are you looking for? Do, do you get that the worst problem any of us have is sin? That grinding against our soul dimension of living in a fallen world. And on Friday of this holy week, God is going to forgive by taking the life of his own son. I think I'll put my cloak in front of them as he rides by. Here, here is my life, oh God. For you will forgive me of my sin. David goes on and says, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. From what, David? From the deceit in my own heart. From the way sin has twisted me and made me into a person that I never knew I'd become. And you can deliver me from that. And from all the troubles that want to come against me, you can deliver me from that. Okay, question. Can Barabbas do that? No, but, but if you follow the crowd in a matter of days, you'll be crying out for Barabbas. And he can't do any of this. And there's lots of Barabbases available for us today in place of this God who wants to be very personal with us. Where's uh, Seth, could you come back up here, buddy? Verse 8, David says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Don't be like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Oh, what a, what a, 
image David creates here. Let not your religion be like a bunch of rules that pull on you against your will to get you to do things your heart doesn't really want to do. That's what he's saying. God says, let it be like this intimate relationship between us that you are ever looking to me and for me and taking your cues from me. If I just catch your eye, you catch what I'm saying. You're not like some, some horse. Oh, you can force it to do things. Listen, there's lots of religious people being forced by whatever forces. Shame in their family, traditions that they've always done, being pulled on by bit and bridle, but their hearts don't want to do this. I can guarantee you those people are at the city gate and they know all the words and they can shout Hosanna, but they'll be shouting Barabbas in just a few days. As opposed to the one whose heart has been renovated like David's was. David concludes the psalm by saying, many are the sorrows of the wicked. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all who are upright in heart. Grab that phrase for a second and tell me, what Savior do you have? available that can make you upright in heart. Do do you understand? There is nothing you can do for yourself to make yourself upright in heart. It's too late. You already have messed up. You've already sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You you can just say, well, I have a redesignation now. I'm just going to redesignate myself. Upright at heart. I'm upright at heart. It's going to take a miraculous Savior who will give you a new heart. He will take away your stony heart and give you a new heart of flesh. And on that heart, he will write his laws. And you will have new desires inside your life. And your heart will be upright because God will have done that. Know any Barabbases who can do that? All right. Here we are, 2023. It's our Palm Sunday. We're gathered, we're a crowd, gathered at the city gate, and we're looking for a Savior. We're going to lay our cloaks and our palm branches in front of something, in front of someone. Who's that going to be? What what need in your life are you paying the most attention to? Because if you miss the greatest need of your life, you're going to visit Jesus on Sunday, but you'll be forgetting about him by Friday. Because he came to solve the biggest issue of our lives. Sin is grinding against our souls. So Palm Sunday, 2023, no dirty city streets. But you can be here this morning, you can be 16 years old. And you're in a crowd via a preached message. A savior has come riding in front of you. But your biggest need is what at 16 years old? A best friend? To be attractive? To find more followers on TikTok? Right? Pick that up and make your your 25. What do you need at 25? Get married? I need a savior wearing a skirt riding up into my life. Or you're 35. Or you're 55. Every one of those moments is advertising. You, you got a need, don't you? But am 
I aware of the great need in my life for which Jesus came riding into this world on Palm Sunday? Not destined to wield a sword at the end of the week and sit on a throne. No, not yet. Not yet. But he will. But before he gets to that, he's going to pour his blood out and die on a cross to forgive your sins. How blessed. So it's Palm Sunday for you and for me. And I'm not going to assume everybody here is distinguished from the crowd on Palm Sunday originally who can hear words of Jesus and be comfortable with that, even can speak the Bible in certain situations and traditions that you grew up with. But by the end of this week, you you will be paying attention to a different need and you will be looking for a different Savior. But here's what God, I think, arranged for this morning to stop us in our tracks and to say, what if what you really need to quiet that screeching sound in your soul, there's only one who can meet that need. You want to you lay your cloak in front of him? You want to take your life and give it to that one and identify him as the Savior, the one who can really save you? All right. You can do that right now. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do it. Right, let me just ask everybody if you just bow your heads with me for a moment. Lord, there are some people here this morning. Well, they're in church. They're not at the city gate, but they're here. And they knew a crowd would be here. And there'd be something, something to interact with, some ideas that they've heard. Lord, I remember those moments. I sat in a lot of churches and heard stuff. I left those buildings more aware of a need that I thought there was some kind of a Barabbas out there that could fix my world. And I was after that. It didn't take till Friday. I, I was after that Sunday afternoon. But Lord, thank you for the testimony of a man that we respect, of a King David, who put on display what's really going on inside of each of our hearts and our souls and our lives. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, he said, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Trust for what? Trust him to forgive you of your sins and to work with his power against the forces of those sins in your life. Trust him for that. Trust him to invade the moment that seems dark and emotionally upside down, that's turned into an ulcer or high blood pressure or anxiety disorders. Trust him to come bring light into your soul, to awaken a sense of, ah, realize what was operating in my own heart, the things that I was after, the things that I've been reckless about, the people I've hurt. Oh, Lord, I've ignored them. I've been silent about me until today. God, I see I have a problem that there is no Barabbas out there who can fix this problem. So I'm looking to you this morning, the one who came riding on a donkey, with righteousness and salvation with him. And I'm asking you, would you, would you forgive me? I'm acknowledging my sin. Would you forgive me? Would you come be my Lord? Would you come into my life? Would you come direct every day from this moment forward? And lead me through this life. Would you protect me and preserve me from myself? From everything else about this world? Whatever I've been tempted to believe, I recognize they're Barabbases. They can't do what only you can do. And so therefore I come to you. 
Palm Sunday, 2023, come into my life as my Lord. I receive you this morning and I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, listen, if if you're watching my live stream or you're here in the crowd this morning, if you prayed that, you just did something amazing. You set your life in the hands of a living God, not just some church building or a bunch of people. No, no, in God himself, you entrusted yourself to God. Expect him to start relating to you differently, right? Not like a horse being driven by forces, but to begin to awaken some desires toward him in your heart. So pay attention to that. If you got questions about that, hey, I'm going to be hanging around here and a bunch of guys will be hanging around here today. You want to come ask a question about that? You want to contact the church office and say, hey, can I just follow up from Sunday? And just feel like God started something in my life and I just would love to meet with somebody who could just help me take the next steps. We're available to you. Can I ask the prayer team if you guys would be available to pray with people who right now are here this morning with a pronounced sense of sin is grinding against their soul. And they could use some prayer. So if that's you this morning, before you walk out of here, come up, find a prayer team member and just share with them whatever you're comfortable sharing and and ask them to pray with you and, and see how this Savior, this Palm Sunday Savior, will come into that need and meet it amazingly. God bless you guys. Great to be with you. Happy Easter. And we celebrate next week. You guys watching online. Love you. Hope to see you soon.